Because in a previous company of mine, I was actually you know, told by senior leadership inside of the company that we could never have any phishing simulation that was sourced from anybody saying that it was HR. It didn't matter if there was an external banner on the top. It didn't matter if this employee didn't exist in the company. It didn't matter anything. It was just that we had such a high click rate for any email at all that had anything to do with HR at all. They're like, no, you can no longer send any of those emails because people are now afraid to click on emails. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Tim Silverline, VP of Security at Glueware, who has held a variety of other roles as well, including CISO at a couple of places in a couple of different industries. Tim and I have been chatting about user awareness training and its nuances and technicalities. Come join us in this great conversation. And Tim, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks for having me, Alan. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. As a quick disclaimer, I'm on the advisory board over at Living Security, and because our topic is security awareness training on this show, Living Security is going to come up a couple of times. It's not a commercial, I promise. They're not a sponsor of this show, and I just wanted to be totally transparent about my relationship with them, given that they do come up a couple of times. With that said, please enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so why don't you get us started with just a little bit about your background in cyber and a little bit about your day job. Yeah, sounds great. I've been in the cyber industry for close to 20 years now. Um, Started out in the network security space back when Cisco security was a big deal and, you know, worked on consulting on all sorts of different networks. And then, you know, over time, you know, went into some larger companies and eventually I was hired back by one of my customers to come be their CISO and build out their entire security program. And that's really what got me into the CISO field. And, you know, as you mentioned, a CISO for a couple of different companies uh, until I wound up here at Glueware. The reason I came over to Glueware was because after witnessing a few different cyber attacks, I started thinking about some of the ways that I felt like there were some shortcomings in the industry from a product perspective and thought about actually going to start my own company. And then, you know, after chatting with the CEO of Glueware, who I'd known for a while, he convinced me to come over and help them build out uh, and to actually turn their product into a more full-fledged security product. In addition to what what it does today, which it really is, is intelligent network automation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we focus on helping companies that have, let's say, tens of thousands of different network devices all across the world really maintain consistency of firmware perspective and a configuration perspective, as well as ensure that they're compliant with standards and things like that. So, so drift management for the network infrastructure. Absolutely. That's, that's cool. That's one of, the, our, one of our key features. That's cool, man. That's real cool. All right. So user awareness training, you and I chatted a little bit before the show and we kind of bounced some ideas back and forth here. Um, and I guess let's talk about what, what you think, sorry, we'll start at the high level. Like what are the best methods of user awareness training? I know we've got, you know, phishing training, but there's also like, uh, and I have to disclaim on there, I'm on their advisory board, but Living Security has the really cool virtual escape rooms. There's gamification. There's all kinds of other techniques, risk quantification and cross-referencing to the tech stack and all kinds of cool stuff going on. What to you are the biggest highlights, the high points, the critical bits of user awareness training? Yeah, so I had actually never heard of the living security escape room concept until you had mentioned it to me. So I looked into that a little bit. And that sounds very interesting because in my experience, the most successful user awareness trainings that I've been part of have always been live, in person, Mm -hmm. very interactive training, right? You know, I find that there's the typical things that a lot of people do to hit compliance, which is they just have their users watch videos and sometimes answer questionnaires and, and that stuff. And my feeling is that most people just try to get that done, 
right? Their goal is really to get it complete and they can check the box and their company stops bothering them to, you know, go and complete it. But when we've done it, when it's been in-person and interactive, especially when you can do gamification and get people excited about what you're talking about, that has led to some really, really great outcomes. And I've often even had, after those trainings, you know, users come up to me and talk to me about, they didn't, you know, they weren't aware of this particular risk and, and hearing about it in a real world use case was very effective for them to really understand why it's important and why they should be behaving in a slightly different manner. I get it. I get that. And, and that, that interactivity and that relevancy piece is there. And, you know, what, what you were describing is that people just try to get through it and check the box, right? I call that the annual click fest. <laughs> you get the training in front of you. Absolutely. You just start right clicking until it stops and forces you to answer a question. And then you use what is hopefully common sense. You're probably right. You most might be wrong occasionally have to go back and re-click. But you can usually zoom through the whole thing without even thinking, right? And uh, that, I think, is the worst possible model. So let's get into phishing simulations. Let's talk a little bit about that. How often do you think you should run phishing simulations with your user base? So I think it's an it depends answer. Mm-hmm. I've worked in a variety of different companies. And what I would say is in my current company, Gluer, we have a you know generally a pretty intelligent user base that you know is aware of what they're doing. I have worked in other places though that you know the company wasn't necessarily focused on technology or necessarily on security. And you know, a lot of times they focused on sales, you know, those users are not really that, you know, that in tune with it. And for those companies, I think you should you need to end up doing it at least more frequently until you get to a point where people are, are starting to you know be more cautious. So I think it really depends on your user base, and you can get a gauge on that as you start conducting them by the failure rate. And depending on that failure rate, I think that's really what should guide how often you should do it because you want to get to a point where your users are are pretty effective at, at identifying the malicious emails. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you my hot take on this one though. Phishing simulations, I'm a big believer in, should only be run with advanced warning. Attention users, you will sometime in the next week get a fake email that's going to be a phishing test, that's going to be us doing it, your security team, right? And I also think that instead of focusing on failure rates, we should focus positively on the reporting rates. How often do users actually report the fake fish, right? So I'm a big believer in give them warning so it's not a trap kind of thing. And focus on the positive, not the negative, so there's nothing punitive there and so that you keep their morale and keep their confidence and their will in the game, if you will. Does that make sense? I absolutely agree with a lot of the you know concepts that you just described. And I think positive is always positive enforcement, you know, for behavior for pretty much anything in life is always typically better than negative enforcement, right? And, right. And you know, but I what I would say though is sometimes you have users that, you know, they just they care about their day job. Yeah. And Regardless of how much you try to give them positive uh, reactions to, you know, what they're what they're doing and how they're identifying those emails, if they don't care about it and they just continue to click on things, I don't know. There needs to be some other way that you can you can convince these users to start actually paying attention to what they do. Um, yeah. Okay. And so that's the only thing that I I feel like it would be great if companies you know you could just do that positive stuff and people were on board and they wanted to get that you know positive feedback. But I feel like and again in certain companies. You just don't get that reaction and they just, unless, unless there's not necessarily like punitive, like you're going to do something to them, but, you know, put them on a list and make sure at least people are aware of that. These are the, these are the users that we need to increase and improve their behavior with, you know, know, identifying those emails and stopping clicking on it. Because I mean, I've been in companies where you, you know, you do the phishing test where they click on it and they go put in their credentials on those sites. Right. Sometimes it's a high enough percentage that it's, it's pretty scary to think about, you know, this email came in and, and yeah. half my, 30% of my user base just gave away their credentials. Yeah, Timmy and Billy, the recurring clickers, right? So what do you, what do, you do in those situations? I'm actually kind of curious. So, I mean, if you... 
Yeah. So I'll tell you this before I answer what I do, I'm going to share another story with you on the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. When I was in the data services industry, I had a client who literally had a three strikes in your fired rule. And it was enforced all the way up to the board level. The number one metric this CISO reported to his board was the fishing results. And if any one individual got fished successfully three times, they were gone. That draconian. It was a perpetual hammering them and constantly challenging and testing. And every, every I think he did an every three months cadence. So, you know, three clicks would be three times in a year. You know, three times in nine months you clicked and, and you were out. So that's like the polar opposite of my approach, right? Right. But it reset on an annual basis or was yeah. this like a rolling yeah, yeah, tally yeah, yeah. that yeah, if yeah, you yeah, ever yeah. clicked yeah. three times? Yeah, okay. reset on an annual okay. basis, three times in a year. He, he reset the clock three times a year. So you could click three times over three years. Yeah, your employees are too important to let somebody go over just that. I over mean, especially if yeah. it's a hard line rule, like you let your yeah. best employee go because they were busy trying to rush to a project and they right. clicked on something too quickly. That's right. Exactly. And and that's and that's to your point. You were saying people are trying to do their jobs. They've already got a job. They've got a mission. They've got a job description. They've got a set of obligations and expectations towards the business that they're trying to tackle. And here you are off to the side annoying them with the security stuff, right? Like I always try to keep that in my brain when I'm when I'm implementing anything with my user base, right? So as to how I deal with those negative stories, if you truly have a Timmy or a Billy, and I always call them Timmy and Billy, the perpetual clickers, the ones that just, it's like, oh my, it's like, dude, we just trained you five minutes ago and here you are clicking again, right? If you've truly got <laughs> some cases like that, I will work directly with their frontline manager and come up with a strategy sort of jointly. And, and I hope that I've only got ever one or two of those in a big organization and it's not a, an endemic or systemic problem. I'll go to the frontline manager and just look, you know, we got we to gotta talk about Billy. <laughs> you know, Billy's, got, Billy's got a clicking habit. We have to break and we have to work with him. And, and, you know, and I'll actually bring the frontline manager in. So it's kind of a sit down with, to your point, they care about their job. They care about, and if their manager is sitting in the room with them saying, this is a big no-no for you, they're going to listen to that person a lot more than a random guy, even with a CISO title. It's, oh, whatever. You got to see in front of your title. You're still some random guy showing up and trying to tell them who's who and what's what. And they just, whatever, I got a job to do, right? So I engage the frontline manager and, and work with them that way and do it non-publicly and non-punitively, but definitely with a firm, you need to improve this. This is important. This matters. And we are looking at you specifically and we are measuring you specifically going forward and definitely make yeah. it a, you know, almost like a performance plan kind of an approach. But but one on one, yeah. you know, not you know, not a big public shame fest, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, all right, how about the boundaries we stay within, right? Like when we're doing a phishing training, and this is where we're getting into some of the technicals now. Should you change SPF records to allow for the fish sims solution to spoof your company domain, right? Even though that may not be possible in the real world, because you've got you know you've got whatever DKIM and SPF and all the other goodness all all wired in, and you're you're set up for anti spoofing and all that. Do you deliberately bypass your anti-spoofing controls to allow fish to be more effective and more tricky? Is that one you do? Um, this is one that I'm actually starting to warm up to. Okay. Previously, I felt like, no, you know, that's not something you should do because it's not a real world scenario. But I wonder if the reason that I felt that way previously is because of how susceptible users were in previous companies of mine to clicking on them. I almost wanted to make it easier for them so they would, they would notice it. But I feel like if you have a, have a decent user base and they're they're pretty they're pretty good at this, I feel like it's it's a good practice to have them in where they're analyzing their you know their emails a little bit more closely. And I don't think it's I don't think it's over the line. I do like the idea you mentioned about giving an advance warning. I think mm -hmm. that that makes sense. I don't know. 
So you said you do it within a week. Um, yeah. I, w- I wonder sometime what that right time week. frame is. Yeah, sometime in the next week is what I always settle on. And I would send that on a Monday and the phishing email would be out the door by Thursday. You want it still relatively fresh in their minds. I, I would say a week and it would usually be two, three, four to business days tops. But generally, I think it's okay. I, th- I think the one thing I would probably, you know, go move away from is trying to spoof individual users, you know, and, and make it look like it's coming from their email accounts. I know that there still is theoretically the risk vector that their account could be taken over and, yeah. and they're actually sending an email from a legitimate account that they've compromised. Yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like it's it's hard if you're you're just almost aggravating your users at that point and creating yeah. another point where you're slowing them down in their daily activities because now they're worried about every email could theoretically right. be that way. Right. And it's not just the user perspective you have to keep in mind when you're saying that because you're also saying that about all the entities in the business that send out spoofed emails. On purpose, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. I remember the very first time I ever really got a good aggressive anti-phishing training program in place and was starting to track metrics and was seeing a genuine improvement where reporting rates were going up, click rates were going down, you know, everything was happening the way it should be. And then my marketing department bought some new tool and sent out a company-wide thing that pretended to be the CMO, but was actually from the outside. And it was all done on purpose and it was all legitimate, but it completely undermined everything I was training my users. If you get an email that looks like it's from Sally, except it's not from Sally, don't freaking click. And this was a marketing email saying everyone needs to click and take the following survey kind of thing. And then HR turned around and did the exact same thing with yet another system. And so I found myself constantly telling my users don't click impersonated emails. And yet my own business partners were constantly sending out impersonated emails. And so finally I had to, just like I sent the warning in advance on a phishing simulation, I worked with the other departments in the company to say, you're going to send warning in advance whenever you do this. Hi, this is the real Sally CMO. You're about to receive a fake Sally CMO email, but it's legit. It's from me. It's part of this program and blah, 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 blah. And please click, right? So you get some sort of advanced warning in advance. You know, you're going to see something fishy, but it's cool. This time it's legit. I'm telling you up front and ahead of time. And if that kind of advanced notice works on the spoofing that's deliberate, spoofing, then I think you can keep your user base trained on spoof bad. But if you don't have the rest of the business on your side and doing that, I think it just completely undermines the entire cause. Right. Yeah. I think the one case I can see where the spoofing again makes sense or the one way I would use it is with emails that don't exist. It's coming from Mm. like a support email. That's not a real email inside of the company that you never use to send anything out from. You know, I could see using that and spoofing from that just to kind of get your users to understand that this isn't a legitimate email. It looks like it might be coming from inside of the company, but you should know we have our right. official communication channels and this is not one of them. So right, right. you should at least you know, check with somebody before you start interacting with them. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. When it comes to IT and security, we can all agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and the manual asset inventory approach no longer cuts it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate actions, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com forward slash get dash a dash tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com forward slash get dash a dash tour. I've got a new employee on my team who's already received, he's only been with us for a couple of weeks. He's already received three 
text messages from the CEO, you know, the gift card scam. Oh, I'm in a meeting. I need you to go get some gift cards. Yeah. Okay. And these same things happen by email. It's all, you know, it's amazing with LinkedIn and everything else today. They know, they find you, they figure out it's the new guy. They, they, they trick you and they'll impersonate somebody. And it's important, I think, for all the true somebodies in the company, you know, like the CEO, CFO, CMO, Anybody with any rank who's going to be sending out regular emails, possibly spoofed, possibly legit, whatever, sort of sets some boundaries and expectations. Like CEO sends out an annual reminder or a twice a year or even a once a quarter reminder. You are never going to get an email from me about gift cards. Like that is just simply not going to happen. <laughs> Worst case scenario, it might be my admin, but even then, that is incredibly unlikely. Like, you know, just sort of set some expectations there as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know any CEOs that ask their employees to buy them gift cards, by the way. Right. right. I've never I've never seen it in the real world ever. So, <laughs> all right. If the users never fall prey to these attacks, is there a reason to continue performing them? Right? Like, if the users are not getting caught by real fish, is there a reason to continue sending fake fish? Yes, but with a much less frequency. And the reason why is because you typically are still getting new employees, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've tested all your existing employees and they haven't been susceptible to it, that doesn't mean that the next employee you hire is also going to you know, be of that same mindset. And so I think it still is, is useful from that perspective. And then the other thing is, is, you know, insurance companies, cyber insurance companies are looking for you to do this kind of stuff now. Right, right. Sometimes it's written into your ISO compliance policies or other various different regulations that you might be following. Yeah. And so there are reasons to continue doing it. Um, it also, I think, sometimes as a, as, you know, from a potential customer, they may have you fill out a security questionnaire. And again, right. those are the sorts of things that sometimes you get asked. And so it just generally it makes it look like you have a more mature security program mm -hmm. if you're doing those kinds of things. Even if you know that it might not be, you know, moving the needle that much in terms of a, you know, overall security posture for your company, mm -hmm. I still think you should do it minimally at least once a year, right? You know, just kind of at least, you know, double check your employee base and again, kind of hit some of those I like that. regulations and, and be able to answer those questions a little bit better. Yeah, and you're right about the cyber insurance policies. I hadn't thought about that one. They're getting so much more prescriptive these days and, and insisting on so much more granular and specific action, not just... It's no longer do you have a firewall, it's how is it configured, right? It's no longer do you have endpoint protection, which brand have you chosen? You, you know, pick one of these three. And I'm seeing more and more prescription coming out of the cyber insurance policies, which, you know, reminds me of like in terms of that kind of regulatory compliance type stuff. I was, uh, again, in the data services industry, and we had so many questionnaires coming in from folks about antivirus, and we were on an EDR solution. And we ran into a customer who flat out refused to acknowledge or accept that EDR existed. Their policy said antivirus. You better darn well have antivirus. So we turned on the free antivirus in Windows and complemented our EDR solution with that simply so we could sure. check a box. For no reason yeah. other than, yes, we have that too. Check the box. Look, there's antivirus right there. Now go away. It was literally a box check. And so I think if your security awareness training is getting driven by that, you know, it's it's maybe gone too far. But I, I think you're right. I think the regular recurring reminders, you know, even if the crowd is doing what you need them to do, it doesn't hurt to have the refresher on occasion, right? So how about clicking links on legitimate emails, right? We already talked about marketing and HR sending these, you know, automated systems from outside the company posing as them. Like there's that whole willful spoofing on purpose, you know, business aligned spoofing. But then there's also just links, period, right? I mean, how many emails today don't have a link in them? And how do you possibly get on top of that when you're talking about security awareness training? So I think one of the reasons that I came up with this question or we, I thought of this question was because in a previous company of mine, I was actually you know, told by senior leadership inside of the company that we could never have any phishing simulation that was sourced from anybody saying that it was HR. 
It didn't matter if there was an external banner on the top. It didn't matter if this employee didn't exist in the company. It didn't matter anything. It was just that we had such a high click rate for any email at all that had anything to do with HR at all. They're like, no, you can no longer send any of those emails because people are now afraid to click on emails. And I thought that was a ridiculous response personally. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, know, I was like, we have a problem. This has identified a problem. And what you're telling me is that we should go around this and basically create a workaround so that our users no longer have to address the actual root of the problem. And I thought that was, that was insane. And so I don't think, I personally, I think that, you know, it's, it's good for users to spend three seconds mousing over the link and seeing where it's going. I don't think it's really, you know, it, it really disrupts their day that much or slows down their, you know, their progress or their you know, efficiency that much at work to be a little bit more thoughtful about looking at the emails. Yeah, no, I agree. And and even, you know, and people will retort to that one about the phone. Well, everyone's on their phones. He says, you know what? If you see the email on your phone and it looks even halfway dicey, wait till you're on a computer and do the hover over, right? Right. You can wait 30 minutes to get on your computer, right? I mean, just some basic, 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 slow down, check it out. I agree with you. I think that stuff is, there's some basic human behavior required. And, and the logic that you were just presented, the metaphor I just came up with was, you're walking in the backyard at night with a flashlight looking for the dog poo and someone says, don't shine a light on that poo and I won't step in it, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, turn that flashlight off. We might step in dog poo. Wait a minute. So that seems to be the logic that they're espousing on that one there. That's my metaphor that I, I don't know, that's the best I came up with on the fly. So how about ineffective methods? What ineffective methods are there of, of security awareness? Well, I think we talked in the beginning about the, you know, point and click, the video click thing. And yeah. that's, in my opinion, I just, I don't think it's effective at all. I think that, again, it's just people just try to get it over with. And so it's, it's checks the box a lot of the time because there's, again, cyber insurance and different compliance standards and cyber questionnaires all want you to be doing the security awareness training. So you check that box, but it, it doesn't tend to accomplish a whole lot. Yeah. I'd actually be interested, you know, you, you know, you're, you're involved with this at, at some level on their board. Can you talk a little bit more about the escape rooms and, and how those work and, and your experience with that? Yeah. You were talking about how physical and in person seems to be the fun. That's how the escape room started was they literally went and toured around and did physical escape rooms. You would sign up and have six or eight employees in a room. And it was literally like one of those real escape rooms where you had to figure out the clue and open the drawer and find the thing. And that's the next clue. And that goes to the, but it was all about cyber. And every little lesson and every little clue was something about cyber. So you were given some brief lessons up front. And then you had to use what you learned from those lessons to get out of the escape room. And they virtualize that and have that now online in a virtual format. And again, you form teams, you pick, you know, and, and ideally, if you're going to organize it correctly in, in the company, you're going to, you know, you don't just say, there's a couple of ways to do it, right? You can say like, it's HR versus marketing, right? Like you can set up that kind of rivalry (laughs) or you can deliberately pick a team that's folks from all over the company and say, you eight who've never even been together before, you're now joined at the hip and trying to escape this virtual escape room, right? So, you know, there's, there's those kinds of physics. And then the other thing, and I don't want to turn this into a living security show, but there's some really cool new stuff where they're actually starting to talk to the tech stack and harvest data and sort of add to the human element of measurement by way of how does the human interact with the tech stack. So imagine you're a human being in a shop and that shop has firewalls and that shop has web browsers and that shop has EDR and that shop has antivirus and that shop has all these various tools. Your specific and personal interactions with those tools could be calculated and and contribute towards an overall score in assessing your security awareness and posture and training could be targeted based on those specific things, right? So that kind of idea as well, right? And that's, I think, where, I think that's where security awareness is headed. 
Cool. You also mentioned earlier, so risk quantification and how that interacts with security awareness training. I didn't follow that one. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So at the end of the day, why are we doing user awareness training? Because at the end of the day, we're saying there's some sort of a risk represented here, right? And I've got, mm-hmm. let's say I've got exactly 100 employees. We'll use nice round numbers. I've got 100 employees and four of them are recurring clickers and two of them click occasionally. And the other 94 seem to never click at all. And they all seem, you know, okay, good, good. So we're in a fairly decent shape. What is the risk, the actual risk to the business represented by those six clickers, especially with four of them being recurring? What are their roles in the company? Are you simply just deploying security awareness training or are you saying to yourself, well, these two guys are in finance. This guy's in payroll. You know, this gal's got access to this sensitive medical data. Like you have to start to me, not just blindly throwing a security awareness training out there, but actually starting to tailor it specifically to who is the person, what data do they have access to, what is their role in the organization. If a CEO misclicks a thing or a CFO misclicks a thing, that's a lot more critical than if the guy in the mailroom does it, right? Yeah. So yeah. so there's a certain amount of risk quantification that you should be doing in my mind as you roll out a security awareness training program to not just blanket and blindly do the same thing because, again, back to how do you report. Okay, great. So click rates are down and reporting rates are up. But if it's all these people that really no damage would occur when they're reporting and the handful that great damage would occur are not the ones reporting, you've got a much different problem than if you just look at the reporting rates, right? Yeah. That's kind of where I get to with that. And I'm always trying to find if anybody's got a clever way of dealing with that intersection of it's it's not just we're going to blindly roll this out to the whole shop. But we're going to specifically think about who is this user. And that's kind of that living security thing, right, where they're going in and saying, you know, it's your interactions with the tech stack. Well, what I'm saying is it's your interactions with the business is a variable and a factor that should be on the table as well. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I, I'm i not aware of any of the user awareness training solutions that you can go and, let's say, assign a criticality score to the individuals inside of the organization. But it'd be interesting if you could you know, do that on your own and base it basically either the department or the level of title that they're they're at, and then use that to generate some additional statistics around yep. around that worst quantification based upon, you know, again, the criticality of the user and their click rate. Yep. The first time in my life that I was given free identity protection, two years worth for free, was because a guy in payroll got a fish, thought it was legit, and sent the entire Name, salary, address, social security number, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of all North American employees out the door to somebody who turned out to actually be in, I think it was Nigeria, posing as the CEO. That wasn't the Seagate one, was it? No, 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 no. No, this was, uh, I won't <laughs> say where this was. I worked there. I was okay. an employee. Okay. My, my information went out the door. I was one of the people whose info went out the door. And okay. it was all because one person in payroll who had access to that most sensitive and confidential employee data of all fell for a fish. I'm way more worried about that guy clicking than I am yeah. about... I don't know, whatever, the guy in the mailroom clicking, right? So, right. you know, that's that's where I think that we need to get into some, you know, risk quantification aspects of this and not just blindly be always talking about user awareness. It's like, well, let's train and target. Let's ramp up our efforts with these people. Let's have custom tailored solutions for that department. Let's, you know, that kind of thing. Last question, and I changed it up on you because I just started literally as of this morning's recording, we have a new final question for every guest. It used to be, what have you learned outside of cybersecurity that's helped you in cybersecurity? It's a new one now. So this one's going to surprise okay. you. You're not prepared. This one's going to be off the cuff. Let's see what you come up with. You are given a magic wand and you are told you can wave it and change any one thing in cybersecurity you want to change. What do you change? This is kind of goes along with our, our, I would say, our talk track here. I would like to make every individual user actually care about their own cybersecurity as it relates to the overall security of the company. Nice. 
And I'm not saying that, you know, the users inside of my company don't care about that today. But, you know, again, I've been in lots of places where they, it hasn't been. It hasn't been something that mattered to them. And I think ultimately our users are a lot of the weaknesses inside of our organization are users. Either it's the administrative users configuring the products or it's the end users that, you know, are doing their day job and, and are not worried about, you know, what they could be causing from a risk exposure perspective. And if I could just increase the level of, of carefulness or the level of interest that everybody has in keeping their own company secure, I think we would overall improve the, you know, the postures of all, of all companies. I like that. I like that. Just if everybody's uh, investment ratcheted up just a little bit, yep. then that result would be powerful. I like that a lot. I like that. Well, Tim Silverline, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>